Now, Father, we have come to a time in this service. We've sung spiritual songs and made melody in our heart. We've rejoiced together and lifted up the Lord Jesus in praise. And we now come to a time in this service when we open the Word of God. And Lord, your Word tells us that by the foolishness of preaching, that you would rescue the perishing to them that perish. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give me an unction today and an anointing, that you would give me clarity and help me to remember the things that I've studied in your presence so that I can reveal them in this place. Touch me, O Lord, for except you touch me, I cannot preach. And except you touch me, your word will not go forth. So I ask you, O Lord, for something, an open door of utterance. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And amen. It was a day as usual on the Sea of Galilee, a little fishing village called Bethsaida, and uh, a figure that was quite common to the fishermen and the people of that region walked out on the deck and began speaking to just peasant fishermen and said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, I will change your life. Follow me, and I will make you realize a purpose that is worth living and dying for. If you will follow me, then I will change you into a tool, an individual, a life that God can use for his glory and for his honor. And that's what God wants from every one of us. So these men that later we learn were disciples. Disciples. That means a learner. A learner. A follower. A follower. A disciple of the Lord Jesus started following him around. And for three years, they wandered around from village to village, gathering each year at a feast called Passover, a feast called Tabernacles. And they would assembled and do all the ritual things that Jewish people did in those days. But this man, they later began calling master, they understood would teach them things. And the Bible said they were with him many times when he gathered the people together for to teach them. And the Bible would say, and all the people of that city drew near unto him to hear him. In fact, it was said about him that when a a king sent men to arrest him, soldiers to arrest him and bring him back, uh, they came back without him. And their only excuse was, never a man spake like this man. When challenged to leave and to go away like the crowd does when sayings become hard, then Jesus turned to disciples and he said, Wilt thou also go away? The correct rendering of that Greek text is, now is your time. It's time for leaving, so if you're of that mindset, uh, you're uh, free to do what you want to do. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And boy, you want to stand up and just cheer, don't you? Way to go, Peter. Thank God, wonderful, right answer. But I I sure wish he would have taken that more to heart 
than what he did because we knew he had some severe problems after that. Even after the crucifixion of, of the Lord Jesus and the, his resurrection, Peter had denied everything and walked away from the whole purpose of his calling that day to be a fisher of men and had gone back to the fishing business in Bethsaida. And the Lord came to him and put fish upon the fryer and prepared a meal for him and invited him to come and dine. You know the song. And Jesus realized that it was Peter that was the log jam of the whole thing called communicating with disciples. There were three that were very close to Jesus. They were called his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And that he shared with them things that he didn't necessarily share with the whole group of the twelve. He was ever teaching them and ever role modeling for them what it was like to be a learner, a learner. In fact, Jesus himself was a learner. In fact, the Bible said, through obedience learned he. Learned he. You mean Jesus in his earthly form realized that you need to be learning? I think that Christians, disciples of the Lord, need to be always learning. I don't think you ever reach a place that Paul called arrival. He said, I haven't arrived. I've not reached that place to where I can become satisfied that I know all I need to know. But I'm always learning more. Well, I will tell you after 45, 6 years of preaching the gospel, I'm still learning. I'm still searching for new things to know about God. He is so vast and he is so incomprehensible that I spend so much energy trying to know him better and know him more than I ever knew him before. Well, this discipleship thing is, fits in with the mode of the patriarchs which carried them down through the, the patriarchal age and from Malachi to Matthew, we have no teaching from God. We have no voice of a prophet. We have nothing communicated. We haven't heard from God in 400 years when an angel appeared from afar and said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And thus initiated a church age, a new dispensation where God remedied every problem that we had with sin and distance learning and all of these things because Jesus became the propitiation for our sin. And Jesus became payment in full for all of the misdeeds that we had done in the past. And God through him bridged the chasm so that we could know God intimately as in the beginning. For you see, there was a time when we walked in the garden with God and we fellowshiped with him and we loved him and had relationship with him in so much that God looked forward to coming and meeting with us. God became excited about those walks in the cool of the day. There's something about fellowship with you and relationship with you that God really gets excited about. I, I can't fathom that because a God who is so holy and a God who dwells in such a lofty place and a God who occupies such a high and a, a holy dwelling would look forward to coming down and talking with us and walking with us and wanting to be one of us. 
Wow, what a all-encomprehensing thought that is, that God would come down to communicate with us. What a great pleasure we enjoyed. We had eternal life. We had eternal perpetual good health. We had blessing and prosperity. We had no disease. We had no sorrow. We had no heartache. We had no kind of affliction, no kind of persecution, nothing to bother us. All to encourage us and all to fill us with joy and peace and lived in a place. But God had one rule. He said, eat all the fruit of everything that's in this garden. Help yourself. But there's one here that's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat of that one. That one is poison. It'll kill you. Don't eat that one. It's poison. It's toxic. Toxic, it will kill you. So a slimy serpent slithered his way into God's garden where we had fellowship and relationship with him. And that slimy serpent told Eve and Adam that God was pulling a hoax on them. For the day they ate of that tree, they would become God's also. And they swallowed that kind of rhetoric so much that they realized they had sinned. And when God came down to walk in the cool of the day with them once more and enjoy their fellowship and enjoy relationship, they weren't there. They were hidden. And God said, Adam, where are you? And he said, I'm hid. And God said, why are you hid? I'm hid because I'm naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? He said, the serpent told us that we were naked. And God dealt very seriously with that whole situation. He cursed the serpent and he told us, you got to leave. You can't stay. You got to leave. Got to leave. And he told the woman that she would travail in, in childbirth told Adam, he said, you'll have to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. And the Bible said, by one man's disobedience, death came upon all of us. And we have inherited that, that nature and inherited that, ah, that sin that was passed down. It's called the original sin or the initial sin, and we all are born in sin, and in sin did our mother conceive us. In other words, we were born going the wrong way. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin hath raised us up together with Christ and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing God did for us. What a terrible plight we had. We were lost. We were condemned. We were hopeless. We were depraved. That means we had no ability to lift ourselves. We couldn't do anything about our situation. 
but a God who dwells in a place afar told us that he had a plan. And there's a man named Irenaeus who was one of the first three centuries, the third century theologian. And he had a doctrine that he called recapitulation. And here's what it says. What we lost in Adam, we regained in Jesus. What we lost in the garden, we regained in Bethlehem's manger. What we lost, what we lost in a garden of Eden, we regained in a heaven, a far away land, a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. By faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. So then God initiated within us a looking forward, as it were. A already but not yet theology. That we know who we are and we know where we're going and this is not it. But God's got it prepared for us. And he said, if I go and prepare it for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, where I am, you can be also. What we started in that garden that was so rudely interrupted by the slimy serpent, I will restore and I will Hallelujah. I will create a dwelling place where we'll never be interrupted again. (laughs) Wow. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. When he talked about Noah, and he talked about Enoch, and he talked about Abel, and he talked about Abraham. And these preceding verses that lead up to this This text talk about people who did great exploits by faith. Every one of them had a faith that looked forward. Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Not having received the promise. But they died in faith, not having received the promise. What was the promise? Well, we know the promises of God are yea and amen. We know the promise that God gave to Enoch. and He said he walked with God and was not for God took him. We know that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain because it involved the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. We, we know that Noah built an ark and did a, a frustrating, confusing thing, but by faith he drove the nails and by faith he gathered the planks and it took him how many years? 120 years to build the promise. And no doubt every day of that time, someone came by to laugh at his promise. No doubt every day somebody came by to criticize how he was going about the task. No doubt every day there were the people that came that had something negative to say to him and about him. No doubt he was known all over the world as that guy building that boat. 
but he by faith kept obeying God, building an ark, and one day it rained. It had never rained before, but one day it rained. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. Forty days and forty nights it rained. And the Bible said the fountains of the deep were broken up, and there was a great flood. How did he survive? By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, he obeyed God, did a very frustrating and confusing thing, a very laborious, difficult thing, but he stayed at it, and the thing that motivated him was faith. What was he doing? Looking forward. He was looking forward. Well, you all know about the day that the guys visited the tent and said to Abraham about this time next year, Sarah, who is now 90 years old, will have a baby. And she laughed, and the angel said, name the child Isaac, which means laughter. So here we have a person standing behind the curtain snickering at something God says. But it wasn't long before she felt a strange swelling in her abdominal cavity. It wasn't long before she realized, hey, I'm about to have a baby. 90 years old? You gotta be kidding me. The promises of God are yea and amen. And the Bible said when she gave birth to that, that promise, she named him Isaac because he caused her to laugh. Wow. All these, the Bible said, all of these died not having received the promise, but seeing them where? Afar off. Afar off they saw what God was going to do. Afar off they saw the reality of God's promise. Afar off in a place that's not visible to the naked eye, they saw by eyes of faith what God was going to do. They saw afar the things that God had promised them that he would do having seen them afar off, and were persuaded, and were persuaded by them. They could see the invisible and were so convicted by it, they realized it was something they should embrace. Is that not what the next verse says? And embraced it. They saw it afar off. They saw the promise of God and were persuaded by those promises and they embraced those promises. In other words, they took them to themselves and owned them as part of their life. Oh, blessed be God. Is that anywhere near descriptive of your walk with God today? That heaven is that thoroughly embraced by you that you're as sure for heaven as sure as heaven is itself. Are you? Oh, y'all aren't getting this stuff. Can you see into an invisible place that is afar off? And can you embrace something there 
that becomes so much a part of you that it defines who you are and what you're about. Great. God have mercy upon us all. They were persuaded by it and they embraced it. You see, when you become so convicted that there is a heaven, that there is a God, that your loved ones are in the presence of the Lord, that we weren't just doing a bunch of foolish hobnob when we brought them in here and said they're present with the Lord, they're absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord. We weren't just playing some silly game. No, we were owning, we were embracing, we were persuaded that what God had promised in his word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're not only persuaded about it, Rodney, we've embraced it. It's become so much a part of us that it defines who we are and what we do. My dad preached so much about the rapture and the coming of the Lord, they started calling him the rapture preacher. That rapture preacher. That rapture preacher. He believed so much. He embraced it and was so persuaded that the Lord is coming back and was so thoroughly convinced and persuaded that he embraced it and knew it is a fact that's going to happen. Praise the Lord. It wasn't an if with him. It was a when. He knew it was going to happen. Listen, the Bible said they were persuaded and they embraced the promises of God and confessed. And confessed. Confessed. In other words, they began to speak that they were pilgrims and strangers in this life. Now, in the Hebrew, that word Stranger has a a special meaning. It means for a temporary time absent from where you really belong. And notice it says for a temporary time. In other words, a stranger is not one who has come to your country to become a part of you. They don't want to be naturalized. They don't want to take the oath and become a citizen. They're satisfied with just being a pilgrim. I'm just a stranger. I'm just passing through. Don't want a home here. Don't want to be putting down any roots. Don't want to be a permanent dweller. I'm just on my way to somewhere else. I'm passing through this country temporarily. I'm here, but I don't intend to stay. Hey, if you've embraced the promise, if you're convinced that you're a citizen of a heavenly country, then this world is not your home. Our home is in heaven from which we look for the Lord of glory, the Bible said. We're pilgrims and we're strangers. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said, but now they desire 
another country. That is a heavenly. And God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. Wow. Just a pilgrim, just passing through. That house over there in Overbrook Forest, it's a temporary dwelling. It's not my permanent home. Glory to God. The old song says, this world is not my home. I may leave most any time. Our citizenship is in heaven. The kingdom of our God is not the kingdom of this world. And the Bible said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That kingdom that we're going to. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. By faith we believe that God is going to get us to the finish line. By faith we believe that God is going to resurrect our bodies to have glorified bodies like his own glorious body. By faith we believe that the Lord will come one of these great days and his power will strike this old earth and graves will burst wide open and sleeping saints will rise and then we which are alive will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. Hallelujah. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. These all died in faith. That means that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob continued to believe to the end of their lives that God would fulfill his promise. But they never saw the numerous seed and they didn't get the promised rest in Canaan. But they died believing it. I said they died believing it. I preached all of my ministry, the Lord is coming. But if he doesn't come, I'll die believing it. I preached all of my, oh, glory to God, all of my ministry that there's going to come a day when the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise. But if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I plan to die believing that. These all died in faith. I hope that every funeral I preach in this church, I'll bury a person who dies in faith, dies in faith. That kind of faith which allows you to trust God despite personal abuse as it was with Abel, to obey difficult commands like Noah did. You can trust God to make good on his word even when it seems as if he's waited too long like Abraham and Sarah. Strangers, persons who are out of their own country, who are in a foreign land, pilgrims are this. They're sojourners only for a time, not intending to take up a boat. I believe that, but I wonder today how many of God's people use these expressions and slogans and profess to be strangers and pilgrims here in this life, yet the whole of their conduct, their spirit, and their attachments seems to indicate that they're perfectly at home in this world. Why do we cry out that we're pilgrims and strangers and act like we're settlers? 
Why in the world do we talk like a land that is fairer than day and are satisfied with this old corrupt evil world where we live in? I think God would have us today to learn from a far place that this world is not our home. That God has something so much better that is prepared for every one of us. This already but not yet. In Proverbs chapter 25 verse 25 the Bible said, as cold water is to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. As water is to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Glory to God, isn't that great? As pilgrims and strangers on our way to heaven. Anybody ever walk through a desert place? Oh, y'all have been living on that mountain, huh? <laughs> y'all just been dancing on the hilltops of glory. Got that uh, myrrh and glory just dripping from your fingers all the time. I wish I was like you. Sometimes I get down in a valley. Sometimes I, I find myself in a struggle. Sometimes I, I find myself where the heat is on. And sometimes I find myself where the desert and all the elements and the natural elements of being in a desert place, it's tough. Sometimes the sun gets hot and sometimes the back gets strained and sometimes the body gets weary and sometimes the steps get a little bit tough. Sometimes my old tongue gets to wishing I had a drink of water. You may have come to this service just like that today. Well, I want to tell you, you found a watering hole. You found a place where God's going to give you some news from a far country. God's going to give you some good news. I'll tell you some good news. He said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Hey, take a drink of that. I'll tell you some more news coming from a far country. The Lord is nigh unto us. His grace is sufficient for every need that we have. God said, I will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost them that will believe upon his name. Hey, take your drink of some water. While you're at God's house, open up that book in your lap and read some of its pages and drink some water from that spring. You'll never, ever, ever deplete that source. It will always be there for you. You'll never drain it dry. Oh, yeah. When Vestal gets up and starts singing, God walks the dark hills. It's like a cool drink of water for my soul. Glory to God, when they start singing about how I'm nearer home than I was yesterday. It's like taking a drink of water and it pouring it down my parched throat. Like good news from a far country. It's like a drink of cold water to a thirsty soul. Oh, isn't it good to know that when I get thirsty, I know where the spring is? Isn't it great to know that you know where there's a watering place that when you... You, do you know what a great privilege it is?
for you just to walk over to the refrigerator and stick your cup under and good, cool, fresh water comes out. Do you know how much God has blessed you for that? There are places in this world, many more places like that than where we live, that water is a luxury. There are people that walk for five miles to get a drink of water. Isn't it something that God right under your nose, right where you are, right where you live, has blessed you so much that any time you want it, you can walk over and get a cool drink of water. You don't have to put a pole over your back and put a pot on each end and carry that to the river and load up some water and carry it five miles back. But God is a very present help in time of need. I said he's a very present help in time of need. You don't have to travel to get it, praise God. He's right there with you. You can drink this water. That little woman said, sir, give me this water that I thirst no more. Oh, give me that water that it never runs dry. Give me that water that it's so satisfying and cooling that it quenches my thirst. Like good news from a far country. Wow, that's good stuff. I like that. Every time I hear someone sing about heaven, I get a good drink, don't you? Without controversy. Here's our problem. We struggle with things in the spirit and things in the flesh. The Bible said the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. Because every time you understand or learn something in your spirit, your flesh will say, ah, that's not so. That's why when you came up here last Sunday and you prayed, you got a touch of God. On the way back to your seat, something said, I don't, don't believe that. That was just another trip down there to the altar. The Spirit will always have to fight with your flesh to get to the faith center. Glory to God. To get the faith center so that you'll believe. It's easy for us to believe physical things, isn't it? It's over there. I got a key over there to a car out there. By faith, I'm going to get that key if I ever get through with this sermon. And I'm going to walk out to my car and I'm going to put it in the ignition. You know what I expect to happen? You think it'll start? Probably will. It has thousands of times before. If it does what it always does, I have a thorough understanding about that but it's hard for me to reach into the unseen and by faith embrace and own something that is not usual and it's not ordinary and it's not status quo and it's not part of everyday life. It's so unusual that I've got to believe against the odds to accept it and embrace it If I ever learn it, I will learn it in spite of me. If I ever embrace it, I will embrace it in spite of me. If I ever get it, I will have to get it in spite of me because all that is in me is fighting against all that is in him. By faith we can see it afar. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, Isaiah 57, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and a holy place with him 
Somebody say with him. With him also that is of a contrite and an humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Yes, God says, I live in a high place. Yes, I live in a very, very distinguished place. I live in a holy place. I, I dwell in a life that no man can approach into. I live in an area no man has seen me at any time. I am past finding out. I am so far above your ways that you'll never comprehend me. You'll never figure me out. It's not within your ability to understand me because you'll never understand a being who has no beginning and has no ending. He inhabits eternity. That's beyond my scope of understanding. I reach the edge of my comprehension and then my faith has to take over. Hallelujah. But God said, I live in a holy place and a high and a lofty place, but I'm not alone. There's one who dwells there with me who is humble and obedient and he dwells with me so that he and I together can revive and restore and renew and heal all of those that are of a contrite spirit. God, through his son Jesus, who was the humble servant of Jehovah, who now dwells in his presence as our intercessor. My Lord, are you getting this? I don't know if you're getting this. It's about to cause me to jump off this stage and shout a little bit. Yes, God is in a high and a lofty place. Yes, he's in a light that no man can approach into. But he's not alone. Our advocate is there with him. Our intercessor is there with him. Our mediator is there with him. Hallelujah. And together they're working out this sin issue. Listen to what it says. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was wroth and I smote him. I, I hid myself and was wroth and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him also and I will restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of his lips Peace, peace unto him that is afar off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace saith my God to the wicked. There was a time 
in that garden when we had great peace. But we lost that peace. We lost that peace because we who were once near to God were made afar off from God. Job 36 and 25 says, every man can see it. Man may behold it from afar off. In theological terms, our juridical position was described by John Calvin as being total depravity. Afar off means we couldn't get back. Afar off means that we were exiled. It means that we were away from God. It means we were separated from God. Our sins separated. Our iniquity separated us from God. And we were afar off. But God. Not Jerry. Not Michelle. Not Mark. But God. Not us. Not us, Chris. But God. God, but God. When the fullness of time was come, he sent forth his son. God said, I don't like them being afar off. I don't like them being separated from me with no fellowship. I don't want no relationship. I don't like that. There's gotta be a way that I can fix this chasm that is between me and these people that are afar off. They once were nigh, and I loved it when they were close. I loved it when they were nigh unto me. I loved fellowship with them, but because of sin, they've been made afar off. They're not near unto me. They're a way off. In fact, the Bible even said we were enemies. Romans 5 and 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Wow. We were enemies, but we were reconciled by the death of his son, Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, somebody say but now. But now. Aren't you glad there's a but now in your experience with the Lord? Aren't you glad that a far off used to describe your relationship with him, but now? Well, blindness was what you were at that time, but now. Dead is what you were when you were afar off, but now. No hope, depraved when you were afar, but now, but now, glory to God, but now. Isn't that what, what Abraham said to that rich man when he said, dip, have, have Lazarus dip his finger in water, touch it to my tongue, I'm tormented in this flame. He said, in the life that you were in, said you were 
blessed and you were favored. You had all the wealth and Lazarus had nothing. But now, but now, his soul is at rest and he has peace and he's blessed and you're tormented. But now, but now, oh, I'm so glad there's a but now. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Listen to Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You mean I'm not what I used to be because of the blood of Christ. I used to be afar off, but now I am near because of the blood of the cross. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we have access by the Spirit unto the Father. Wow. Come on, Connor. And help me close. Well, that's Roman numeral number one on the outline. Stay tuned. How in the world did God take us who were so far off, so hopeless, so depraved, and change everything because of the blood of a cross? I think I'll make me one before next Sunday so I can carry it around with me. Closest one I see is that one up there. I remember when I was down here and the cross was up there. I remember the misery of where I was when the cross was up there. I remember the condemnation. I remember the guilt. I remember the remorse. I remember the wretchedness when I was down here and the cross was up there. But on a hot June Sunday night, 1966, I said, I'm going to go up there to that cross. And I went up there to that cross. And I made my way through all the things I had to make my way through. All the sin, all the wickedness, all the fallen nature until I found my way to that cross. On that hill far away where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And I knelt at that cross and I prayed to the God who sent that cross. And I asked the God 
who provided that cross and that sacrifice that hung upon that cross to change my status from afar off to near. And I have found out over these many years that as close as I can remain to that cross, the better my relationship with God. But there are times when I walk through those desert places and times when I don't feel His presence and I find myself kind of slipping away from that cross and I find myself at a distance and the temptation is to, like Peter, when that cross was being put on that hill called Calvary, I find myself like Peter following from afar off. And sometimes as I continued to get further and further from that cross and I started involving myself with this person and, and with that person and this person and that person and involving myself in your problem and your problem and your problem and, and your problem and, and, and preaching that funeral and, and doing this and going to that hospital and seeing that person and, and doing all of these things that I realized one day what about my relationship? I've been so busy being busy that I forgot to do the main thing. And I could just continue on in my business, just go on as a, a busy pastor. Thank God for a busy pastor. He's a good pastor. He goes and sees people. He buries people. He loves people. He encourages people. He's a good, good pastor. I love that pastor. He's a good man. He just, he's helped me a lot of times. And eventually I find myself out here in the foyer. Nowhere near the cross. But you know what? There comes a time when that prodigal comes to himself. There comes a time when that prodigal realizes, my Lord, what have I but done? How cold have I got? I'm off here in this far country. Back at my father's house, there's good things going on. There's a home for me there. There's provision for me there. I will arise. I'll go back to my father's house. I'll get back up there near that cross. I'll go back. Oh God, through your son Jesus, would you hear my prayer? I've wondered, I've, I've struggled, but I'm on my way, God, I'm coming. I'm coming, Lord, I'm coming. Don't give up on me, God, I'm coming. I'll be there soon, I'm coming, God. I'm coming, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. The cross is still there. God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus. Because when I was afar off, 
He made me nigh because of that cross. And now Jesus is saying to every one of us in this building, if any of you, if any of you want to become a stranger and a sojourner and a pilgrim on your way to a place that is being prepared, let him deny himself and take up that cross and follow after me and become a learner and become a disciple because the way of the cross is a way of discipleship and it's a way of learning and it's a way of knowing God like you've never known him before. And one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible is when Jesus said, in that day, in that day, many will come and they will say, Lord, we've done miracles. We preached your word. We carried the word. We've done miraculous things. And he will say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Never had a relationship with you. Though you preached my word, I never had a relationship with you. Though you prayed for sick people and they got better, I never had a relationship with you. Though you sung spiritual songs and led in worship and did all kind of great things in my name, but I never had a relationship with you. Well, Lord, we even cast out devils in your name. But I don't know you. And you don't know me. You're still afar off. What a terrible thing it would be to think you're all right and be so deceived that when you get there, he says to you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Could I tell you more important than having your name on a church book? More important than shaking a preacher's hand. More important than signing a card. More important than doing any of those things is the one all-consuming fact. Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is in your life He's your friend. He died for you. He's your Savior. And you're in relationship with Him. You know Him. And He knows you. If you don't know that today, then don't you leave this place. Don't you leave this place until you know that I am in relationship with Jesus. And it's not complicated. I'll tell you how simple it is. It's as simple as this. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. But he that hath not the Son shall not see life. That's how simple it is. Not are you a tithe payer, not are you a member of a church. Have you got Jesus? Have you got Jesus? Stand with me all over this place.
Thank you, God, for souls you're going to save this morning. Thank you, God, for people that are going to make a decision for you this morning. I wouldn't be afar off another minute. If I were here and I needed to know that I know that I know in my knower that I am in relationship with the Lord Jesus, that he's Lord of my life, I'd step out right now and I'd come and I'd say, God, I want to know this before I leave here today. I want to know. I don't want to leave here afar off. I want to leave here near to the Lord, close to God, close to the Master, close to the Savior, close to my Jesus. Come on, all over this house, if you need something from God, you step out from that place where you are. He's a problem solver. He's a healer. Are you praying for me this morning? Thank you, God. Are you praying for me this morning? God, help me to say the right thing that will get someone to make a move. Just a step. Just make a step. Just make a step. And then another step. How many of you can say, Pastor, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt right now that I am saved. If the trumpet was to sound right now, I would go up in the sky to meet the Lord in the air. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Hallelujah. If you couldn't raise your hand right then, then your next move is a step toward the aisle because you can know before you leave here today that that's, that's how you know the Lord Jesus. You know him in the free pardon of your sin. Everything is right. Everything is right. Everything is right. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Nothing between. Nothing between. Nothing between. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. All right, then I want everybody in this building that will pray with me. I need you to make your way forward and come and help me pray. I'm going to pray for people this morning, and I believe that God's going to touch somebody in this house. Thank you. You can play loud now. Connor, go ahead and play some good altar song now. Praise God. They're on their way. On their way. On their way. Pastor, I'm going to know this morning before I leave here. I'm going to know I'm not going to live another day. I'm not going to sleep another night. I'm not going to go through another event until I know. I want to 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 know. In Jesus' name, I want to know. Come on a little closer to me over there and make some room for some folks. That's right. Come on. I won't do anything. I promise. Come on up a little bit closer. There you go. There you go. That's good. That's good. That's good. Come on. You need to fill in this space right in here. Got a hole up here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't you miss it. Don't you miss it. Don't you miss it. God give you an opportunity this morning. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Pray with me, everybody in this house. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you at your invitation. You said, if I would draw nigh unto you, that you would draw nigh to me. I feel you this morning drawing nigh to me. And I'm in this altar because I want to draw nigh unto you. And I make this move by faith. And I embrace and I'm persuaded that you will do what your word says that you will do. 
And in Jesus' name, right now, I embrace, I own that Jesus is Lord of my life. That my sins are under the blood, washed, forgiven, cleansed, a pilgrim and a stranger on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Now, how many of you believe he heard every prayer we prayed right then? I believe he did. You know why? Because he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Look at your neighbor and say, he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So I, thank you, God. I pronounce for you in this altar and in this area, peace, peace, assurance, commitment, faith in Jesus' name. I'm his and he's mine. How about the best praise you got? There you go. How about the best one you got? How about the best one you got? Where's Rosie? Come here, Rosie. Come on up here, girl. Yeah, come on, yeah, come on up here. I called her Rosie. I think that's what Don told me. Rose. I call you Rosie. How about that? Somebody else calls you Rosie too. What did God do for you? He saved me. He did what? He saved me. Saved you. <laughs> Living by faith. Praise God. Who are these guys you brought with you today? That is my boyfriend, Kenny. Boyfriend, Kenny. Is Kenny a believer? Yes. Yes, he is. Praise God. Well, hey, Kenny, you got you a brand new girlfriend. Praise the Lord. Because if any person be in Christ Jesus, she is a new creature, a new creation. All things are become new. Old things passed away. All things new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On your way to heaven. Yes. I'm just a stranger passing through. Just a stranger passing through. Praise God. She even listens to the preacher. My Lord, kudos to you. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to baptize you pretty soon. You know what that means? That means we're publicly saying that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I'm going to put you beneath that water and bring you up which means we buried the old rose and rose up with a new one. Hallelujah. Pastor, why'd you get that girl up here like this? Because it's important that she publicly says, the Lord is the Lord of my life and he's my Savior. Everybody Jesus ever called, he called them openly. Amen. And we're made overcomers by and the word of our testimony. Praise God. I'm proud of you, Rose. You made a great decision, girl. You'll never regret it.
Praise God. Anybody else get a touch in this altar? Brittany got a touch of God in the altar last Sunday. Amen. Had a great prayer with her. Amen. Many of you got a touch of God in the altar. It's important. Missy, is God real? Does he still save and deliver? You got a different expression today than you had last Sunday. God's done something for you this week, hasn't he? Touched your life, didn't he? I prayed for you and I said, God, I want you to give this girl joy, right? Joy. I said, the devil's fooled around and stole your joy. And you got that joy back, haven't you? Amen. Yes, sir, she said. Praise God. David's got a wife that's done got out of intensive care. Give her praise. She was emerged last Sunday when I left here. She's still in ICU. She's out of ICU. She went to a room. Now she's out of strength, fellow. She's at Nolan Hospital, and she's making recovery. And she's look. She's making. She's, her goal is to be here before Easter. To be here by Easter. <laughs> well, that will be God that does that. That's for sure. I'm so glad all of you come today. And I praise the Lord that you got a touch of God in the altar this morning. That's important that you leave here meeting God. John preached yesterday morning at the men's breakfast about seeking God. And that's what it's about. People that are far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this outpouring of your spirit. Thank you for these young people that have made a, a decision for the Lord. And I ask you to go with them and bless them and keep them by your spirit and by your might. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.